Hey everyone, welcome back to the Murder Records podcast. This is Jay Ferguson from the band Sloan here with you. On this seventh episode, you'll hear a conversation between Chris Murphy and Patrick Pentland regarding hardcore punk. Not only the music and the bands like Minor Threat, Black Flag, and Seven Seconds, for example, but also the impression it made on the two of them growing up and the influence it had on the local bands and the scene in Halifax, Nova Scotia during the 1980s. This conversation ties into the latest release on Murder Records, a limited edition Sloan album called This One's an Original, a collection of 12 hardcore punk covers and two originals. It's available now over at our website, sloanmusic.com, for a very short period of time. Okay, this is going out to uh, Zombie, Steve McCullough, Gordon Krieger. So Patrick, how did you yes. get into hardcore, and how do you di- how do you differentiate between hardcore and punk, okay, etc.? Well, hardcore punk punk would have been because I was listening to for a little while. I was listening to uh, hard rock music, say when I was in grade ten or something, and then um, but through that hard, because, hard rock like what? Well, hard rock. Maybe I started playing like listening to. Well, first of all, when I was younger, I was listening to like Bowie and stuff like that that I liked a lot. Like around eighty three or so. By eighty five, Metallica kind of become big and all that stuff that happened. As did Psycho Candy came out too, which is not a metal record, not a hard rock record. But but you listened to Metallica and Jesus and Mary Chain at the same time. Yes, because right. I play guitar, so yeah. I just was interested in guitar music. I didn't really care uh, so much about what it was, but I liked those first couple of Metallica records. Anyway, it's what everybody was doing, everybody was listening to at the time in my school. And then... Um, but is it the difference between... So, like, I didn't hear Metallica. I don't know who... I, di- I didn't hear that at all. I don't know how I missed that. I don't know. I I knew who they were just because there were some rock guys in my school. There was a guy called... Who's, uh, Paul Nickerson, whose nickname was Bumper. And he, was, he, had, <laughs> he had a lot... He was a really good drummer, and he had a lot of... Uh, he had, like, Motorhead, and he had Venom... And those are bands that aren't really the same. And even Metallica, like their whole thing was like metal, but also like they were from California. So they were, they were into the Misfits and they were into various punk bands, for mm-hmm. instance. And same with like Motorhead and that stuff is basically, it's basically hardcore. It's like punk rock or it's as well as hard rock. So I was into that stuff. And then when I heard, I think I heard Meyer Threat and I think it was just like, this who, is, who turned you on to that? Someone it brought it to school? Been, yeah, it would have been through Backstreet. It would have been somebody at Backstreet. Oh, that's What's the other Backstreet? important thing is that... Uh, important around thing? Backstreet Import. Around me leaving high school, around maybe grade late, grade, summer of grade 11 maybe, uh, after grade 11, I um I started going downtown with friends and there was a arcade there called Backstreet Amusements and... Uh, lots so like of, the punk mecca. Yeah, lots of punk rock kids hung out in this place. This is basically the only sort of punk place I feel that anybody was really hanging out in on a daily basis or whatever. And it was just an arcade downtown. And um, and it just became like a bit of a social center for me and for not so much. I didn't know that many people there, but I had friends who went. My friend Cliff, for instance, and I would go down all the time. I met my girlfriend at the time, uh, Tracy, through that place. A lot of people were listening to things like Minor Threat 
Cro-Mags, which is a bit heavier, um, Bad Brains and stuff like that. So I always thought of 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 Backstreet of all those people being into like GBH, yeah, Discharge a little bit, yeah, and and they weren't so much into American hardcore. Maybe not, but that's that's how I ended up getting exposed. Also, like once you get interested in it, like there were a few record stores in town that had, um, you know, record like the vinyl of like whatever record it would be, like any hardcore record would have been there. So I would, have, but not in the mainstream record stores. Right. There was also the this other is track records. Well, you know what? The other way that I got into it actually was through Gordon Krieger. CKDU uh, World his on a radio Stick. show because I would record that sometimes I used to I used to record and it, so I remember hearing like uh, what's Naked the Reagan. like MDC like Grey World is it Grey World Grey Walls and things like that and like probably that's where I would have heard uh, Circle Jerks and stuff like that I guess Minor Threat for sure probably so Gordon Krieger um, I ended up in a, in a band with Gordon Krieger and his radio show was called World on a Stick if I'm not Mm-hmm. mistaken Maybe. At, yeah. at CKDU probably um, Jay had a show too Jay Ferguson had a show not as hardcore no but uh, and just to catch up with you so I I had a, a my punk rock mentor was Sharon McDonald who turned me on to Minor Threat there was a guy who lived a guy an older kid who lived across the street from the high school Halifax West and he had records his name was Jamie Jamie Collins I don't know mm-hmm. maybe I'm mixing that up with JJ Collins anyway he had minor threat records and stuff, and I heard that from the first time. And she, but she was into like all that sort of what I think of as backstreet amusement stuff, like GBH, mm-hmm. like City Baby, Attack by Rats. Like she lent me that record. But when I heard Minor Threat, um, I think he had the seven inches, but it just blew blew me away. And uh, and then so and, and and prior to that, you know, I'd heard the Sex Pistols and that kind of thing. But you know, I was listening to like U two and the Violent Femmes or something like that. I was less into well, metal because yeah. those yes that's right and I had friends in school too who were that oh yeah there was another guy in my school um oh god what is his name now anyway he was he had come from New Brunswick and he he had like crazy hair and stuff and he had he gave me a tape one time for instance that had uh like the Cure's second record or something on it and on the other side was Violent Femmes and I thought it was the same band like I just didn't really right. understand because I don't think the tapes were anyway but I also got into punk rock stuff but yes like by that point Sex Pistols was was sort of like it would have been like kind of more like Duran Duran or something almost yeah. really I don't think anybody at Backstreet listened to Sex Pistols I remember trying to get trying to convince the older like punks at Halifax West you know I you know, wanted them to know that I knew who the Sex Pistols were and they were all just like that is so old and boring like what are you talking about that's like 10 years old yeah but I mean I don't know yeah I don't know I mean there is a different like American hardcore I think had its roots in not necessarily metal or hard rock music I think it had its roots in that type of alternative pop Music maybe like you know how I'm always angry that people call like <laughs> angry. Blondie or Talking Heads punk, right? I think it kind of came from that though more than it came. From, I mean, maybe it came from Pistols as well, but like I think that um, whereas if you talk about GBH and stuff like that, I think it's it's British for one thing. It's mm-hmm. coming from I think there is more of a hard rock or metal element to that. Um, I think of hardcore as or being even like almost uh, a, a reaction to GBH, and those were almost like boy bands, like sort of like. Or like Billy Idol, like just like almost like fashion punks. And I then, think there was, was a certain like uh, anti-fashion. Well, or that's Minor Threat's thing was like. And Black Flag. Sure, but it's like shave your head, don't have any vanity. 
Like right. get rid of your hair, get rid of whatever else. Mm-hmm. Except that only one guy did that and <laughs> the rest didn't do it because <laughs> the rest of my heart weren't like that. I right. think it was just him, uh, Ian Mackay, who was great and obviously a, a bit of a hero. My hero. Certainly, certainly for you because yeah. he's also the king of straight, you know, sort of invented the con- the concept of straight edge or didn't invent it, but like this term straight edge, which was a big deal for you, which was not a big deal for me. But I, I, I loved that stuff. I thought it was just an exciting record. I, and I, you know, I liked the, the, the sentiment behind it but then if you listen to something like black flag or circle jerks or whatever black flag i couldn't get into really except for early stuff because it became kind of jazzy yeah and, so black flag is is hard to, to it's get a, a hold of man. and by the time we kind of got into it like the first album i had everything went black yeah that's which is that weird compilation compilation of different singers which i didn't understand and mm-hmm. in in my head i also had that like the last record that it, it, I, I don't even know if I know that it's the one with uh, drinking and driving on it okay but uh, you know that song I do yes okay. I know uh, that was I the do. last thing that's like 86 or something that see yeah I kind of Rollins Black Flag to me never really I was kind of more interested in, in his solo stuff only because the early solo stuff only because I felt like it was a little bit more songy or something but he's a polarizing guy too like, well Black Flag is interesting we don't have to go too deep in it but they were like they were like basically a party band, you know what I mean? Not party band, but just like good times, crazy band. Mm-hmm. And then they got really, they really rebelled, rebelled against what people thought they should be and kind of I fu- think fucking with hardcore and making fun of it and became more interested in Dio and all that kind of stuff. Really? It was, it was hard to, uh, whatever they became. Yeah. Sorry. I, I don't really have a good thesis, but like there, I, I got a hand it to them, like from an artistic point of view, like they really sabotaged what they had built and they, they had all kinds of problems with like, they, they had like three, they were being sued and all that kind of stuff. I, I'm not really an expert, but they were being sued by their distributor. So they built up, they had three records worth of stuff that was just kind of like sitting there. Oh, I didn't know about and that. And so like they, they, you couldn't see their development because that, none of that was recorded. Like, and then they had... Then they were like, they went from this to my war, and then it was like, what? What band is this? Anyway, that's right. that's that's too esoteric. To no, get into, but, but I think that there's something about that because I feel like the thing that you miss with punk rock or hardcore, or whatever, is that most of the people making it in the early '80s, mid '80s, whatever, really got their start and and probably even got their start making punk, doing punk music in the '70s. So, Greg Ginn, for instance, yeah. is a hippie, yes, basically, and so. A, a lot of their shit was like it was fueled by like LSD and and shit like tripping and like all yeah. that and that's I think when they got into like jazzy stuff. I also think that you're right that there's a certain amount of like bucking the status quo, which is ironic. That I feel like they kind of were trying to get away with what Circle Jerks, Keith Morris being the first singer of Black Flag, and Minor Threat were doing, which Henry was obviously good friends with Ian MacKay, and then Ian started a few other bands, but then eventually Fugazi, which is far superior in my mind to late black flag or whatever. It's a different thing, but yes, but, but think of the difference between the first minor threat record and Fugazi. I mean, that's but black flag is an example. They, they, they stayed a band, but like could minor threat have become Fugazi? Probably not, but it would have been like a real, like what's going on with these guys? Maybe. Yeah. But I also think the weirder thing about that is to see what happened to the guys in minor threat after minor threat broke up. And so, so when that's the, like the Meat Men, well, and Sam like, Hain, and Junkyard, right, and eventually Dag uh, Nasty. Bad Religion, and Dagger, yeah, but that stuff is sort of like punk. But like, I feel like 
you know, one of them became a lawyer, one of them <laughs> became a hard rock party guy, yeah. and which is the antithesis of minor threat. And I right. think on purpose. I think there was a certain amount of like, I want to get aw- as far away from this as possible because it's a fucking albatross on my neck that I have to be the straight edge guy when I'm not even the straight edge guy yes. in the band. And, and he like, always refers, Brian Baker always refers to Minor Threat as his high school band. He's right. like, you guys, you guys realize I was 14 years old. No, like, I know. And and I, I the other thing too is like, you know, the whole straight edge thing was like, because I was like 15 and I didn't yeah. drink and party because I respected my parents. Like, but it didn't mean that was my whole life. Right. I, I get a kick out of it. Like some people, I don't fight him on it, but some people refer to me as being straight edge as at age in my 50s. I'm like, well, I would, I right. sort of identified as straight edge as a teenager, mostly at first to to deal with peer pressure, mm-hmm. and and that was it. Like I don't I don't run around talking about that with think, my cousins. Or I something. think that's I've seen Ian McKay being interviewed by that, and people are like, he's like, I'm forty five years old. I know. Or whatever. Tell like, me about your diet, Ian. Like he's like, can we not talk about? Yeah, it's like I don't give a shit. People call up still when he's in his forties, saying, "I'm drunk, man. What the fuck <laughs> are you gonna do?" It's like I don't care. I never really cared. And even if you listen to the song, it's like, I'm not telling you what to do. Right. It's just, I chose not to do this. And it's a great, it's like exactly what you're saying. It's a, a way to get away from peer pressure as a teenager. But to be in your 20s and worrying about, like I remember, not that it mattered, but I remember people, you know, like uh, Fugazi played Halifax and Cliff, our friend Cliff was, and they and Neither of us were there. We no, we weren't there. Town. But Cliff was sort of like, we went to dinner and like half of them were drinking beer and stuff. It was so weird. It's like, maybe not the bandmates, but like, crew or whatever and it's just like obviously because they were adults like yeah. they weren't teenagers and but it's it it shows you the 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 um it i feel like as a as a teenager getting into that type of music it was more about like it, it um it was more of a statement than it would have been getting into dire straits or something like it was a world you know what i mean yes and so and maybe it was a world that you're supposed to shed by the time you're 20 but and maybe we did a little bit. Like when we started Sloan, we weren't really cranking Minor Threat all the time or trying to sound like them or no. even Fugazi necessarily. But I'm, I still value it more than I value a lot of music that I listened to at that time, I guess. But, you know, at some point you feel like maybe this is like music for teenagers and I should be... Uh, Outgrowing this? I guess so. I mean, I'm excited to <laughs> well, see one, Circle Jerks. One, <laughs> one, one, yeah, me too. Well, I'm I, one of the records that we were cranking early on early tours was check your head and that's mm-hmm. a band that was kind of founded in hardcore that's right uh and and they had some hardcore stuff on that record beastie boys being yes check your head yes and, and that that to me like when people are sort of like because some i have seen some people in the past scratch their head a little bit in comments about us and punk rock it's like why did you do this and it's like you know obviously we come from someplace and the big thing uh maybe to talk about briefly is Halifax and the fact that there wasn't a mainstream touring uh, route going through Halifax for the most part. So while you might get big name acts who arrive in Halifax from the East, Co- from sorry, from the UK or Europe, and they have to play a show in Halifax or whatever, you would get people like that at the big arena, but you wouldn't get uh, sort of medium sized medium sized bands. bands coming to play like theaters and stuff. So we didn't get any of those cool bands. We never got like. Or not cool, but whatever. Like we didn't get any alternative rock bands coming through, except we could play in our little club, which was the Flamingo. Yeah. So you wouldn't get like Jane's Addiction or something no. like that because the, there's no place to play. There is now, kind of, but because it's the Forum now. But so we didn't get exposed to that. So therefore, we had our own music scene, as many small punk scenes were, because nobody was there. So we had to kind of make our own. Like we weren't going to see. I mean, SNFU and stuff like that would come through. But so yeah. So I would just say the small list of bands would be SNFU. 
from uh, Edmonton, essentially. Yeah, or, yeah. Uh, the asexuals, later the doughboys. Doughboys, yeah. And, and asexuals again. They and came, asexuals yeah. as a three-piece, yeah. And then who else? Like it's not... DOA came. DOA, DOA no came, means no I, came I wasn't allowed at least to one that. time. No means no, but that's into 1990. Yeah, this like was in the 90s. And also these are all Canadian bands. But 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 uh, asexuals and uh, asexuals came in eighty five, and uh, DOA came in the eighties, maybe eighty five. Yeah, I wasn't I, I wasn't allowed that. to go to that. So what were the first show? What were the first out of town shows that you saw? Did you see SNFU at Carpenters Hall? I didn't see that. I didn't. Uh, see I that remember either. it was happening. <laughs> I think friends went, but I didn't go because I think I had to work. What would have been the first out of town show that you saw? I I feel it would have probably would have been Doughboys. Right. Uh, they played the Flamingo. Uh, they did, but they also played the casino. Casino, okay, and right. I saw that as well. But we we didn't play with them on that tour. We played with them on the tour after, I think, the Shine era. I we think. did. Was it Shine? I think it was before that, even wasn't it? Was was Shine big well, even when we were just starting? I we did. We did open so. for the Doughboys. We at, did it. at the Flamingo. We did it was before Shine though. Well, and then like, we opened for them at Waldo's too. I don't know about that. We opened for Bootsauce. I know that, but I feel like oh maybe we played with them we opened for snfu as well at the flamingo, at the flamingo yeah. yeah but um and and, and quick bar- stories they were they thought we were good and then six months later four months later they hated us well we 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 were <laughs> the talk of the town in we played with them in vancouver and chai pig didn't like you was really slapping me around and i was like so depressed because I I loved SNFU and I was so I was embarrassed to have so much heat on our band when they were obviously kind of complaining that they didn't have that same heat yeah anyway but there was also I I don't know if you're heading towards something I'm sorry if I'm interrupting but we we also had a pretty good hardcore scene in Halifax that's yeah that's kind of what I mean yeah so there there was our own scene so therefore we both played in hardcore bands partly because who were the big hardcore bands in Halifax at the time I mean I guess I always talk about or mention um system uh, overload system overload or there was a band called moral support yeah um i would say that before them uh there was were, uh, false security yeah which i did i never which saw. was still they were kind of they were kind of hardcore but they were more kind of just punk that's what if i always you ask thought me. yeah like they were like big leather motorcycle gloves and and studs and spiked hair well and stuff because like that. there was a punk scene before us in halifax of people who are a bit older than us, who well, now who do you think of as being in that? It would have been like Chris Logan and Tim Stewart. Okay, and so Rigid Tears, like the Dope or the uh, Jellyfish. Well, Jellyfish Babies is a good example of a local band that wasn't really a hardcore band. They but were kind of hardcore band at first. At first, but you well, might not have even seen. Them. I didn't see them then, yeah. but I saw them certainly. Well, definitely after that, um, before they moved away and stuff, and and it was a cool thing to see whether they're punk or not or hardcore or not because. They were quite good, and they were like a Halifax band, and they're your age. They're you're you're younger than I yeah. am. They're younger than I was, or maybe around my age, but they were a grade below, and I was very jealous of them. I didn't even know that. Yeah, and then Pete from that band went on to play in Doughboys as well. That's right. But um, but uh, they yeah. So there was a local scene, and so my band Convulsions played a handful of shows, and you had a couple of bands. So played. tell me about your tell me about you coming up. So you're in Convulsions, or sometimes the Ripping Convulsions. Yeah. And that's you on guitar? Me on guitar and kind of writing the songs. And Cliff Gibb, Cliff the Gibb, person you've mentioned before, who, who went was on to in, play with uh, Thrush Hermit. He ended up in Thrush Hermit, and he still plays music with people, and he played with me in that band, Convulsions, and the band after Happy Co. before I joined Sloan. And um, yeah, so we, we got a band together, which is basically people from Sackville, which is kind of weird. 
um, because there weren't a lot of punk kids in Sackville proper. I mean, there was a little bit later, but um, there was a couple of people. But so we were doing. Uh, you guys were, was it like it was thre- like I I must admit there are there are recordings that exist of this stuff. Yeah, and I played one of the recordings full dis- full disclosure to Damien Abraham. Oh, he did, and he he went crazy. He was like, "This is unbelievable. This what? is this is so." He said, "This is so uh, au courant right now. Like this is what's happening right now." He's like, "I, I yeah. can't believe this is from then." I was I've been so how I've would heard, you describe it? I've heard some hardcore recently, and um. Because I, when I was listening, when I was before I heard those recordings, I remember the band being a little less metally. But I think we were listening to, like, because Cro-Mags, for instance, from New York, or Agnostic Front, those two bands, mm-hmm. which are kind of old school hardcore bands, but they were New York, so it's a little different. Feel. I personally didn't like any of that stuff. See, I like the Cro-Mags yeah. record. Yeah, uh, dealing with it, or not dealing with it. Sorry, I'm um, uh, Age of Quarrel, and. Um, but it's a it's a heavier New York it's a New York like it's an American thing that's a little bit different. But yeah. I felt that uh, although they are kind of related with to Bad Brains, so it's that's weird too. Like if you listen to Bad Brains too, like Bad Brains, obviously a seminal record, Rock for Light. When they progressed a little bit more, it became a little bit more. It was kind of metal. It was metal, and it was and you know obviously the reggae thing too. But but uh, yeah, they went kind of metal, and uh, again they're kind of New York though, even though yep. they became DC. Uh, they're from DC, DC, but they're from DC, and they well moved they got to New York. their start in New York, I think. Well, That's they, how like Harley from Chromax was their roadie for a long because they, they were, were DC York. guys, bad brains, and then they moved. They they made that Roar cassette in New York. Yeah, I think yeah. that they were based there for a little while. Maybe I'm not sure. Anyway, they were they um, but that's a that's yeah so. Uh, yeah, so anyway, also because I, I had, it also kind of depends on your equipment. Like if you don't have a distortion pedal and you don't have an amp or whatever, Sharp guitar. you might not sound <laughs> like a metal band. Yes. But if you have a heavy metal pedal yes. and, you know, so, and our bass players, they're, you know, like John Johnson, who was the singer, was not into metal at all. But that bass player you had was a, he had, yeah, he, he looked like he was in Metallica. I mean, he's a big boy, but he, he was a big guy giant... and he was into like anthrax and all that yeah. stuff. Like anything... Like that time was like it was, it was the crossover. heyday of thrash, the crossover into yeah hardcore. Did you thrash. like DRI, for example? Yeah, I had the I had I did, I actually got the crossover record, which is the later one, but I liked dealing with it a little bit in that it was super fast and ridiculous. Yeah. Um, well, and now I could that 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 ripping convulsions or convulsion stuff that you're on, and that that's what eighty eight eighty nine. 90? No, 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 no. It's it's eighty seven. Eighty seven, or maybe it's, even eighty six. It's crazy fast. It's, some of it's, re- fast. it's really fast. Yeah, there is some fast stuff that I kind of forgot about. And uh, like where he's going, I was like, what? I hate that. But we did it. Um, okay, and then on the. And then it's on, not hard. Sorry, the point, the, just to interrupt quickly, the, 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 the point of playing it to a certain extent was that I just wanted to be playing guitar and playing music, and it was easy to play um, in a way. And like, because it was kind of metal, but you didn't have to be a a flash player to play it. Yeah. You kind of had to know something, but, um, and, but, and then if you didn't know about it, well, most of my friends didn't know about it. And then you go and look at how many bands had put out records in the States playing that music between like 80, say 82 and 89 or something. 
you know what I mean? Like there was so many, there's a lot of bands. I, I don't know if you would consider like TSOL to be a hardcore band, but they're a punk band, but they're kind I of. I think of them as in, as har, in the hardcore yeah, or like, lexicon. Or and of course, MDC, which nobody talks about, but I thought they were great. That blew my mind. And like just Even really the, musical, but like not, like kind of jazzy, but not embarrassingly so. Jay Ferguson's stories about working in the record store and that came in and he said he was ter- terrified of the record. The back of the record is a drawing of a guy split in half and he's half cop and half clansman Clan, yeah. and he's pointing a gun directly at the camera or whatever mm-hmm. and it's it's scary and that that stuff uh is the song called i remember do you remember that one? yeah I, uh, yeah i think it's called that in the usa you got to take a chance yeah. if you plan on staying free to call it the land it's of the living it's basically the it's, song describes it's so exciting but the song describes everything that people were up in arms about last year Black Lives Matter and stuff it's like about cops and it's all yeah. about the cop like MDC millions of dead cops explaining that cops are not nice uh, grandpas or whatever they're fucking hired yeah. to do certain things and they do it with if the, you know who get who becomes a cop so that was their thing and I knew about that back then and then I'm being schooled by people you don't get it because you're so old but you don't get that the cops aren't your friend or whatever right. it's like really because I've got I mean, never mind the fact NWA existed kind of after that, but like all these punk records are basically like Black Flag, whatever. It's like police story. Yeah, it's all anti-police, anti-authority, but it's not because they want to do whatever they want. It's because it's fucking corrupt and nobody will call anybody on it. The only people who, you know, punk, like I, we didn't experience any of this, but like California where you see, whether it's Black Flag or whoever, like riot police out on the streets beating the crap out of just punks who were mm-hmm. going to shows yeah and you read the, i read the keith moore's book about that and you know like it was a big deal there was like a police presence at all of these events and shutting it down and busting their black flag at their church or whatever that they rehearsed in busting that place and like they were at war with the police punk rock so they were really ground zero writing songs about being pushed around by authority figures and we were just in Halifax, Nova Scotia like nobody knew we were there and nobody cared. Yeah. Uh, like we didn't have any problems with cops. No. There was one like one time <clears throat> at a place in uh, 88 the space I rented that Randy's Harmony's house mm-hmm. Convulsions played there mm-hmm. but there was that guy the skinhead named Elmo who apparently yeah, yeah. came to town from Montreal like but he I remember he was outside the show and just like had a cane he was a menacing no he was terrifying. crazy guy. Yeah. And he was like smashing like a car's uh, wind, rear view mirror off and stuff like that. And anyway, he's, yeah, I know, like side mirror, yeah. causing some, but, but for the most part, like there was no cops trouble in Halifax. Anyway, I just want to circle back to just from my own story in grade 12. Uh, I mean, Sharon kind of schooled me on a lot of this hardcore and I got into it. There were a couple of um, punk compilations. Did you have the burning ambitions album? Do you no. know what that is? See, here's the other thing for me is that I didn't have any money. I didn't have. So I didn't I own the records. Record. Sorry, me neither. The other, the, the, there were a couple. There was CKDU, which came on the air in '85, so that played some records. So you heard "World yeah. on a Stick" in Sackville. Did you hear it yeah, out there? Yeah, I would have. Yeah, uh, it kind of reached out it was, there. It wasn't. It didn't have a great radius. But then the other thing that we had at Halifax West, <clears throat> we had a radio club, so they had records like "Burning Ambitions," which was like a punk compilation with like the Ruts and like some Sex Pistols song. Like, like it's from the UK though. From the UK, and, and there's it, also. I always thought it was like a skinhead. Burning ambition was a skinhead thing. No, uh, but there, but maybe the business is on it or something. I don't know. But uh, and then um, there was another record called Times Square, and that would have had um, like Grinding Halt by The Cure, like that kind of early Cure mm-hmm. and stuff like that. 
Anyway, so I know these kind of punkish things, but you know, there was a DRI record there. So I, I heard a lot of records at the radio club. So, but but the, I just want to also say, so Ewan McDonald was a kid who was in Urban Attack, probably a cover, but he joined a band called Fair Warning that was out of Montreal, hardcore. Uh, yeah. And he, uh, and he, his record collection, his sister Mary was dating my friend Mark. And so I ended up with a lot of those records and I taped them. So I had, it's in the out of step by my thread. Mm. Uh, How Could Hell Be Any Worse by Bad Religion. And a lot of these songs that we ended up covering on this uh, Angry Simones, Bad Brains, and all this, anyway, seven seconds. So that mm-hmm. became the basis of my understanding of hardcore. And I also, at the time, like, and, and it sort of would joke sometimes that punk, like the Clash to me sounded, I would joke that the Clash to me sounded like the Saturday Night Live band. Yeah. Like, just like saxophones, really? I guess, is that cool? Or, I mean, I know maybe you have a different relationship with saxophones probably no, because, you, because of your dad and because of uh, I had to, fear tried, or whatever. They were doing that because, um, although I was just You sent, love fear. I like that record and I was just sent a video of a documentary about how John Belushi got fear onto SNL. I knew that fact, but there's a documentary there's, about yeah, that. Yeah, Sander sent me a, a thing. What? For Who do they talk? To? They right talk. Here. Is Ian McKay in it? Ian's in it, and because um, he was apparently there. Yeah, he he because yeah. and uh, leaving the singer for Fear talks about you know all these. They're like yeah, Ian McKay came out. He's like, yeah, they got real punks to come up from DC right. to be in the audience, and then they have Ian talking about it, and and a few other people. And um, was Rollins there? I think so. I think yeah. Rollins was there too, and. Um, I mean, they did that a few times because, like, there's a Donahue episode about punk and, like, the guys, like, Vinnie Stigma. Agnostic Front. Agnostic I have that, Front and I have, are there. I have that on VHS. Yeah. And, and uh, you know... Um, it's and the not thing- kiddie stuff because he was 32 or something at the time. And it's like, it's not kiddie stuff. Still going. <laughs> I, I follow those guys on something. But, um, I, you know, and that was a, another weird thing, too, because the skinhead, there was a skinhead like a presence in Halifax in the when I was first hanging out there but they were just kind of friendly guys it's people. like I can name them all and they, like, they like just just kids they just Steve dressed Ray. that way they weren't racist but like, then these guys later came down from Montreal and they were super yes, racist yeah. super Nazi kind of guys Yeah, and then you know they wanted to walk around with like six pack hanging off their belt with yeah. like three beers in it and stuff and like their Doc Martens which you couldn't get back then and then and I was I had basically skinhead for a while, like a shaved head or whatever but like I I was too old I felt by 88 maybe or 89 even I hadn't been going down there anymore I mean I got a girlfriend and we were just staying in Bedford or Sackville and just hanging out there because it was we didn't need to go into town and then we would occasionally go in to see people when I got out of when hardcore kind of led to Sonic Youth Dinosaur Dinosaur and and like alternative rock music that wasn't really even that big uh, and it became bigger in the 90s when that whole, when the, the year the punk broke, which is, I guess we were all kind of in that tide of, you know, at some point the Pixies got signed and some bands got signed to Major Husker Du and stuff. And so all of a sudden... This is basically, by the way, as of this taping, exactly 30 years ago. It was like 30 years ago really? today, basically. It was like September 91 that Nirvana, that Nevermind right. comes out and breaks yeah, and then... Yeah, and so... That was why I liked that record at the time. I was really into that record and that whole era. And we got signed around that time too. But it was like, it was sort of, as people have talked about, but it's the year that punk broke, meaning that it was the year, which was only about five years after I started listening to all this stuff, that it became commercially successful. And then it dominated things for a while. And of course, it got ruined. Um, but 
but it but became, it's funny when you talk about the history of punk and stuff. When when you, if there's a TV show about it, they talk about maybe the Stooges MC5 get up to the Sex Pistols and then then it's Green Day or whatever. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But all of the music that we liked was the stuff that was kind of in between all that time. You know what's funny is I just saw a thing on Instagram or something of Fred Armisen who he, he would know he was in hardcore and trench stuff, mouth and he did a thing on like. Fallon or something where he's playing guitar and he's just showing you the different types of punk over the years. That's funny. But he didn't do hardcore. Oh, he didn't. Well, no. he wouldn't. He went doesn't... to Green Day from I, I can't even remember what it was, but I was just like, surely you could do. He could do, but then and show that. But he didn't, and I felt ripped off. I felt like, but American Hardcore, which there was a big resurgence a few years ago with that record and, or sorry, that movie. It's an important musical movement in the yep. punk scene. There wouldn't have been Green Day and all that stuff without that, but it you're right, it gets glossed over. Well, it's totally. well, certainly with anything to do with the music business, all of that stuff. Like it was just all it was completely outside the music mm-hmm. business, you know what I mean? Like all any all that hardcore stuff had nothing to do with the majors. But no. uh but Fred Armiston would know. And I whatever, I wouldn't take him to task. Like he did that funny that fist fight in the parking lot on SNL the the punk band playing at the wedding you know the yeah, whole yeah, thing yeah, with yeah, Dave Grohl yeah, yeah no I, I, for sure I, and he's done some I know that but but my thing too was like um, you're right that it, it kind of existed in the in the peripheral or whatever I mean Discord I, I think eventually those labels made money but there was like Epitaph became which is bad yes. religion right isn't it uh, yeah yeah and so that became massive yeah uh, and it was distributed eventually through majors but like there's it, I think it well, just Fugazi all, must have sold Tens of thousands of records. Like I'm oh, not no, saying that it's, I'm not saying that it's not I profitable up, or no, no. Important. I looked up one of those yeah. things. You know, they have like who's worth what, and Guy from Fugazi was listed. I don't know if I believe it, but he said his net worth was five million dollars. I think mine but is listed as three million dollars. Well, I'm, yeah, but it might be over twenty five years. Yeah, but like I think that there is a certain I, I don't know. I mean, sometimes they say they check out taxes and stuff, but the thing is, is that they own those records, and I'm sure they sold. I'm sure they sold a hundred thousand records. Yeah, eventually. no, no, I, I think so. And too. at ten dollars a record, and then they tour. And, yeah, you know, I'm sure they make good money. I'm sure that's why he stopped. I'm sure that's why they stopped. They don't want to go on the road anymore, and they don't need to. Yeah, and I don't think you're going to see a Fugazi reunion, which kind of sucks. So I just want to also just to parallel your story. So my bands were. I was in Whiteout in '86. <laughs> And uh, and then sort of like aware for like a show, this band Spent. And so you would have seen Spent and I would have seen The Compulsions. Is that right? That's, that's right. I didn't when, see... Th- that's kind of when we were would have first seen each other. I think so because we were both in university. You play... I saw you play at Dow. I saw The Compulsions play, I feel like, in a school in a snowstorm in Sackville. In Sackville. That was one of the last times we played. But I also saw at... Uh, well, then maybe I had seen you prior at, uh, at the Harmony House thing. That's 88 for sure. That would have been, yeah. That was also. I mean, we didn't only last like a summer and a half or something, but but we did. How many play, shows do you think? I think we played like six or seven shows. Like we played hundred practices. <laughs> I love the Not practice even. to. Sh- I love the practice to show ratio. Like we oh, yeah. spent like we we practiced like a hundred times or something. Probably we we, we did. played like three times. I think we. I think the four guys in convulsions. Eventually, we were, would have been playing probably like twice a week for like six months or something. <laughs> But it was really social, and that was kind of the whole thing. And we certainly the other thing to get to is that there was no hope in hell of any of us doing anything professionally. We didn't live in Toronto, right? And and that was the whole thing when Sloan got signed. It was like we didn't have to go to Toronto. Check it out. But it was kind of a bit of a but fluke. The Jellyfish Babies were the closest. So the Jellyfish Babies had been sort of hardcore, and then kind of became 
soul asylum folk punk yeah. sort of thing americana kind of stuff but then just like too poetic if you ask me but anyway like i i i am a fan and i love them forever but um so they were the, and then they moved to toronto they spent some time in new york but you know they couldn't really get anything going so like that that's that were the op, that was the option open to us well I, you can move to toronto yeah. and play in clubs and or, make or no money or montreal which yeah. had cargo records right but i think a part of that might have been they moved to toronto and then just started doing Right, right, because they did, but um, or some of them, but um, uh, so maybe there's, but uh, yeah, no, that predated everything though. That was they moved to to Toronto uh, before, like they. I think by the time we were going to Toronto, they weren't playing anymore. That's right. No, I think they moved in you know eighty seven, eighty eight. Yeah, yeah. They. I remember they played. How I saw the last show before they moved. I remember thinking, so I was also in Carney Lake Road with Jay for a while. I remember the Jellyfish Babies were gone, and I was like, we're kind of the biggest band mm-hmm. in town. You were, yeah. But, you know, I mean, who do you count? Do you count Hundred Flowers? Blackpool? I don't know. Black, I don't know. I mean, that's the other thing, too, that's important is that the music scene didn't exist in Halifax at that time, let alone worldwide. So the only... The only way any of us were going to be heard as punk bands was to release our own tapes or something because there was no infrastructure at all. There was a major infrastructure grant system, for instance, to benefit Celtic bands and East Coast type bands, but rock bands or punk bands didn't really get any attention. And I remember because there was like a battle or not a battle of bands, like a, a contest to send in a song to CBC for something. And Convulsion sent the song in, just me and Cliff doing it. And it was kind of a punk song for sure. And it got no attention at all. Like it was just like, and I think the thing that won was like, just fucking horrible, kind of folky, typical CBC shit. But, um, but it was just like, we're never going to do anything. There's no hope in hell. There was never any thought that anything could happen. So it was just a, it was a pipe dream and it was a, it was a, a hobby. And then I got out of music really right before Sloan I stopped playing in Convulsions and, and Happy Co and I was like I'm just going to be a normal person get a normal haircut and wear normal clothes and then I got hooked up with you guys immediately and I looked like a dork <laughs> although I had I one of the first picture, one of the first gigs or gigs one of the first practices I think I wore like a minor threat shirt just to impress everybody that, right. remember I know all this stuff um, my three piece suit but the the notion of the it being commercial like it was defiantly without commercial appeal and then that was part of uh, I mean maybe this is overstating something I'm I'm talking to my mother or, or father or something like it was part of the for a, for a band like Nirvana they get so big and they come from a world where you, you're not there there are no prospects to make money and then they become the most the biggest band in the world it becomes this sort of like thing that makes them kind of you know it's a it's the sellout thing it's it's in, it, right that's what i think what he had what kurt cobain had such a hard time with but it's important to remember we though we thought I a think. lot about it in the old days like oh that make you know what would make us of course we'll take any commercial opportunity now but i remember fighting a lot it's like edge fest i don't know man like is yeah. that cool or i uh, i mean maybe we were sort of like living on our own fumes a little high on our own fumes a little bit but um but it is also like it wasn't just Nirvana that got signed first. It was Sonic Youth, and it was uh, Alice in Chains, and it was Soundgarden, and it was um, maybe not Pearl Jam. But like, do you count Jane's Addiction? Jane's Addiction were, in my mind, Jane's Addiction were the Van Vanguard or whatever. Like they were an alternative, a weird alternative rock band that got a lot of attention Dixies. in Rolling Stone. Yeah, right. And they looked a certain way, yeah. and and so they weren't metal, but they weren't the Pixies. Pixies just looked like 
like they worked in a laundromat <laughs> or whatever. Like they didn't even look punk or anything. Like they just looked like yeah. mom jeans and they're all wearing mom jeans. <laughs> um, can we just, uh, do you have anything more to say? I was just thinking we'd just talk about some yeah, of these songs specifically. I have to go soon. Okay. Uh, so your song, it's, it's in you, it's in me. Mm-hmm. You wrote that like... Well, I'll just start. My song, Jenny, is from the old days. Like, I, I wrote that in literally in 1988. And then we talked about doing this hardcore single. And you needed to come up with a song. Or someone in the band did. And, of course, it's going to be you for a hardcore single. And then you wrote this in, so it's like 2013? Yeah. I Well, really, we were going to do that. You had recorded Jenny already. And then it was like, well, why don't you do this? And it's like, well, I don't have anything recorded. Well, I mean, I guess I had... Uh, I didn't really have anything that I could reference, and so I wrote my own, but except that it was just the music that I wrote, and then it was like, okay, now you just have to sing it, and then it took me, what, two years to write the lyrics? Because oh, two I, years. I had no idea. I was like, I'm not angry at anything. <laughs> I mean, I am now, but <laughs> but then I wasn't. I was happy, so I didn't know what to do, and, and you know, other things were happening, but like then when it all clicked, it was like, I was worried that it was too, it wasn't, like yours is quite, Yours is like the non-metal hardcore, right? And mine's a little metally, so um, I wasn't sure how that would go over. But I, I, I like both songs um, a lot, and I don't know if we can play them live. I would like to. I mean, I, I would totally play without a guitar. I would just sing. But um, yeah, so that was sort of like an example of what we would sound like now if we did a hardcore record. Yes, which is what we sounded like. So. We can do it. Well, this was this is sound like hotcakes, so. Um so yeah, so we did the two songs, It's in You, It's in Me and Jenny and uh that came out on a, as a 7-inch and we kind of aped the Minor Threat uh Salad Days That's right. artwork for that, but yep. but that was not pre-planned. Like we literally no. said, "Oh, this dupe kind of looks like it. Let's do it." And I we could have done an even like it looks yeah. quite good. Like it's clear what we're yeah, what we're, well, we, what we're doing, but we could have done it even better. Well, we were doing a photo shoot if people know the photo shoot uh, in Andrew's back alleyway, we were at Andrew's house, and then yeah, you're right. The the, the front step looked like it because he doesn't have a uh, he didn't have a railing on his front step, and so I almost feel like we did that in 2009 or whatever year it was, and we didn't make it for this. Like it was just like we just had the picture. we just did it. Yeah, we just had the picture. It was three years old at the time. It's like, well, we did it with Lisa Mark. Yes, but I, I just mean like we just did that picture for fun and then we right. had it and then we did this punk thing and it's like, oh, let's just use that let's picture. Let's just use that instead. Yeah. And I think we were even a little nervous at first, but because uh, I'm like, for instance, I was not wearing any of those clothes when we took Well, that's that what I mean. Like, like I, it was like all we, Andrew's clothes if, that if, I put on. If we, had, if we had planned it, we could have done it a little better. But I, I, people got it. Yeah. And, um, and I think it's an, a cool thing to do, I suppose. I mean... I can't imagine what other band, what other cover we would have done. Yeah. So anyway, so we did that seven inch, and then we did uh, twelve hardcore era covers from the time as digital downloads. And so with this thing that we put together, this vinyl record that we called uh, this one's an original. Uh, we we put it all on one. Uh, uh, it's at forty five RPM, which is kind of funny because it's so short. Mm-hmm. But so it's a fourteen song thing with uh, two originals and that's why it's called this one's an original. And so just quickly, Gas Chamber by Angry Simones. I played that with my band, Tony Deaf and the Piano Tuners, uh, at a coffee house in nineteen eighty five. Okay. Uh, so um at the Halifax West. Like with guitars? Like electric guitars and stuff? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. I thought coffee house sounds like... Sorry, no. It was, uh, sorry, it was called a coffee house. But to me, that's the first time I was ever on stage and played 
we oh, played You Stupid okay. Jerk by Angry Simones. We played it three times. It's only like 10 seconds long. Anyway, uh, I did that. So that's 85. Well, Convulsions had a song called Three Seconds Song. How, how long was it? Three seconds. And the lyrics were three seconds off. You, you, that's a lot like uh, Scott Pilgrim. Would you, would you know Scott Pilgrim? I know the movie. Well, there's a band that just plays, there's a song called, this song's called So Sad. So Sad. Yeah. This next one yeah. is called, anyway. So mm-hmm. you beat them to that joke. Uh, filler, the first, uh, I, yeah. First song on the first minor threat thing. Is yep. that this kind of the first thing they ever did? I don't know. Uh, probably. And I mean, I've heard, the demo, like because they released the demos and right, stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, but I just uh, always loved that song. I just thought just the way it starts up at the beginning, like the way he yells that, and it's just like it's like everything just just takes off, like yeah, like a lawnmower like out of control or something. And I just like that. And um, but it has weird things. Like none of these things have lyrics, and there's a whole bit towards the end where it kind of falls apart a little bit and I was trying to recreate that with the guitar yes and um, well and the lyrics that you came up with or that you deciphered you're just a sheep looking for a shepherd I never knew what that was I think that's what that's what people had written down so that's what I thought it might be and it makes sense well I always just phonetically said you're just a shit fucking shit brain or something like I never Mm. knew what that was Um, give me Sober sober Angry Simones I loved uh, the Angry Simones a lot Andrew Andrew does how many songs does he do two he does Gimme Soper and Hot Cars both mm-hmm. Angry Simone songs mm-hmm. so that was I was you know Patrick and I are the hardcore fans in Sloan and uh, I would say that Jay the least uh, whatever Andrew was having a fun time doing uh, uh, the, the Angry Simone songs but uh, I would say that they were mostly just kind of game to do it but anyway so Andrew did the two Angry Simone songs that's cool I did two uh, seven second song I did Bully and uh this is the angry part two. They're both on the crew. Uh, I got that record from Ewan McDonald, and uh, I loved Seven Seconds. They were kind of like Minor Threat Junior. They were just yeah. kind of like uh, that was kind of part of my problem with a lot of the what I perceived to be the second generation of hardcore was, uh, like I never really got into the West Coast stuff, like even Bad Religion or or. Um, I didn't follow Bad Religion. Yeah, I love I love the Descendants. I like the Descendants a lot now, but when yeah. I was younger, I just felt like uh, I felt like Seven Seconds were just they're just or even um, even Dag Nasty. It was just it was just they're just it's just Ian. Like Ian was producing it, I think. Yeah, Dag Nasty, and it's just him. It's basically people aping him. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think both. Uh, I think Kevin Seconds would describe himself as a Ian Mackay disciple, mean, but it's. It's a specific voice is the thing. Like he says things a certain way and and, and, I, and then people are doing those inflections. I think Kevin Seconds is more of a singer than Ian. Ian to me is a two-note guy. Yeah. He's, he's a yeller. And Kevin Seconds has is more like singing. Well, it's more of like what precursor, precurses the music, which I hate, the sort of pop punk of the mm-hmm. 90s or whatever. Well, that's, that's kind of maybe what I thought Descendants and stuff was a little bit like. Um, well, they begat everything that I didn't of, like. Yes, yes. Like that sort of. Eh, I'm a I'm a loser or whatever. And it's just like, <laughs> I, I it wasn't powerful to me. Right now, I think it's really cool. And I real, but I think a lot of it at that age, you're just sort of like you're almost tribal. It's like you couldn't just like anything. You had to like That's specific right. things. That's right. And uh, and also again, like I said, I didn't really have money. And if I did have money, I didn't spend it on music. I spent it on booze. <laughs> Or whatever. I mean, some I did buy records, but I definitely knew kids who, 
I mean, I got I taped a lot or got stuff taped for me, me. too. But I, I definitely knew people who would go out and buy five records every month, and it's just like. What about? Uh, I I have to. I'll try and say Husker Du, but I always said Husker Du. Husker du, yeah. Did you did you do that? And what record did you come in on? And uh, Metal Circus. Okay. And then New Day Rising, I think. I didn't know the early, early, like the, um, like, Landspeed record. Landspeed record, or even later, like, um, I never got into, uh, Warehouse or whatever. Yeah, I just like, I didn't make it that far either. I mean, Candy I, Apple Gray is sort of like, I didn't make it that far either. I, I, I like it, record. but, but, uh, I liked, and I had, uh, Zen Arcade. I liked all that right. stuff. Well, to me, like, then they were kind of hardcore. Yep. But they weren't hardcore later. They were just sort of poppy punk. No, but, Anyway, they wrote songs. They did, and yeah. the, and 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 there was singing. Bob Mould never really sang. No, but but Grant was a great, cool singer. And to me, I always <laughs> thought he sounded like Paul Stanley. Really, he had That's sort a- of a lisp in his thing. <laughs> anyway, um, okay. we'll do that. We'll do Husker doing stuff on uh, on the next one. Retrospect is kind of an anomaly. So Jay sings that. That was his because uh, it's not that hardcore. But, you know, Grey Matter is kind of in the hardcore. The Grey Matter is kind of in my favorite era or the thing that sort of hit a bullseye for me, which is all that sort of like second wave discord. Discord. D- DC. So it's it's Grey Matter. Dagnasty. It's uh, Dagnasty. Rites of Spring. Soulside. Soulside. Beef Eater. Like I loved all that stuff. And like Gordon Krieger loved that stuff. Yeah. So like when I was in a band with Steve McCullough and Chris Murphy, a.k.a. Zombie, the people I, I shout out at the beginning of Jenny. Um, that's what we were into all that. And we went, went down to DC in 87 and 88, basically to pay homage to these, like a, literally like a pilgrimage, like a couple of losers. Anyway, Catalina descendants, which um, we covered live. And we had the good fortune of playing with Milo Walkerman. That's right. Uh, uh, we from learned, we, yeah. So were you part of the guy, were you backstage at the descendants here when they played at Young and Dundas? Yeah, I met him then. His wife came up and introduced him to me. Because I was in the crowd on a flip I phone. I know, you could see co- me. And couldn't get backstage. I know. And I was like, he's my hero. <laughs> I know, and I'm like, you know what? I, I, I think I was looking for you. I was like, I, I need to introduce you to Chris, but I don't know where he is. I couldn't believe it was happening. Anyway, I could see you guys interacting backstage with Milo, and I, I was just dying. But the last time I saw him was in, I, I don't even, where was it? And he was on the bus with... Philly. He was on the bus hanging out with us, and you weren't there. You came later because you were signing stuff. For Come people. on, yeah, you came later, no, and he'd gone. And I hung out with him for a while. Like he talked to me and Andrew, and, and I was, was talking. You somebody was talking, talking my ear off to uh, one of our super fans, <laughs> and I was talking to him. Well, I have his email address, and he's he's very very cool. And I want to send him one of these. By the way, I want to send all these records. Of course. Oh, yeah. because who, uh, seven seconds of circle jerks coming to town in February? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, or so they're coming to town soon, and you and I are going to bring these records to them mm-hmm. there uh, somehow. We'll and get fifty them. bucks or whatever we owe them. Uh, so Catalina, yeah. So Sloan got to play with uh, Milo on stage in Philly. That was a big thrill because he's a fan of Sloan, which yes. we did not know. No, and yeah. So when we met him, yeah, he had our records and he had never he heard was, the end of it and was into it. He was embarrassed to talk to me. He was like, "Oh shucks," kind of thing, and I was like, "This is insane." Well, meanwhile, but there are pictures of me having driven from Halifax right. to Montreal to see the Descendants in 1986, and 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 I couldn't believe they weren't just playing. Uh, a small place and I was I was driving up picturing a big place like they were a big band and and there was the story where I was like almost disappointed that they played such a small where place where did they play they played a place called the rising sun you would have never been no. there mm-hmm. but uh and of course now in retrospect I'm like I'm glad it was so small of course but that's just a selfish fan thing it's like when people come up to us like I'm glad you played the boot and saddle mm-hmm. man I'm like really are you because I wouldn't mind playing the TLA <laughs> um 
or whatever it's called. Uh, Fountains by the Nils, one of the That's, great great Canadian bands. It is, and a great song, but it's not really... A, I mean, it's a punk song. It's not really a hardcore song, but I always loved that song, too. I just thought it was such a great... It's just something about, again, the energy of it and the fact that, yeah, they were from Montreal and you have a bit of a Kearney Lake Road Nils story, but by that point, uh, Alex, the singer, had killed himself, so... It, obviously and so by the was, time we recorded it you but, mean yeah like yeah. like I always loved the, the songs anyway and then even before the record came out I think because it was the EP the Sell Out Young EP but and the Sell Out Young EP am I wrong about that? Sell Out Young EP came out first mm-hmm. uh, and there's like a Paisley EP or something is there? I think so I forget there's, it's all been released before again. the before the Rock Hotel record but the Sell Out Young record it reads like a greatest hits it's got fountains it's, it's got yeah. uh, it's amazing what else is on that? do you remember the songs? like Daylight um, yeah uh, but it's like a different version of Daylight than yes. was on their Rock Hotel. Yes, record. but like, but the sellout Young, it's, to, it's unbelievable. Like, it's so good. I forget what the, I should know the names of the songs. Like Freedom is that on? Freedom, there? yes, yeah. exactly. Um, just a Canadian Montreal band, like just and and I think and, I think affected Husker Du and those other bands. Like I think they knew the Nils, and I think uh, that Doughboys too. I think because it was Montreal, sure. and it was and Montreal had such a great scene for a while and that's why I remember when we first started I really wanted to go to Montreal live in Montreal I was like why don't we go to Montreal and get signed as cargo and whatever but I think I just would have become a junkie <laughs> I just always thought of Montreal as like crust punk, it is crust yeah. punks and liberty spikes and, and dreadlocks yeah <laughs> and which would have been fine by me but wouldn't have been fine for you <laughs> uh, anyway so working we talked about this is the angry hot cars uh, nervous breakdown uh, did I do nervous breakdown I did nervous breakdown speak in your mic nervous breakdown i uh i sang i guess you could have sung it um but yeah so we did yeah so in we have nervous breakdown which is keith morris singing in black flag and then we did wasted Wasted, which which, but i did the circle jerks version of wasted which is keith morris singing in circle jerks but it was a black flag song too it's just it was slower in black flag yes it's like a bit of a floor tom thing maybe i like both versions but i like the wasted i like the fast version and and we met uh keith morris in in when, Austin, whenever, whenever he sang with uh, with fucked, fucked up, up. Yeah. yeah, and we met him there, and then we then we played Coachella. We we hung out with him there, and another time too. I can't remember what it was. Maybe. Oh, they played Hal- They played Toronto. I don't know if I talked to him then. Oh, Flag. No, he came with no, Flag. Off, did, did, did you? Played. But did you come? Did you? Go I didn't fl- see flag. flag. Oh, you didn't? No, but I saw Off. We played with Off, didn't we? Uh, at the at Coachella. No, but we played with them at Young and Dundas, didn't we? Am I wrong about that? Uh, I think we did. Uh, if we did, we I don't We did, know. because I remember I have pictures of me and Laurel meeting them, and Stephen's there too, Steve McDonald, and okay. Keith, and we're like posing, uh, and it's where the, do you remember that backstage was a little bar or something? I know it, yeah. And he was sitting there. But then at Coachella, we played with them, and you and I talked to them, I think the second weekend. Okay. But the first weekend, I was watching Jenny Lewis or something and he was there side stage and I went up to say hi to him and stuff and I was like, I'm Patrick from Sloan and he's like, oh yeah. And I held out my hand to shake his hand and then he wouldn't do it. He wanted to punch and then I realized, okay. then I've read since that he doesn't do that. He doesn't the shake germ- hands. Or I, would, I wouldn't have done it. But um, I think he famously doesn't have health coverage or something. There was some, some yeah, I've read he his, got sick or something. I read his book. He's always, yeah, he's a bit, anyway, uh, but it's still going. Yeah. 
And he's great. Maybe he has to. (laughs) Right. He probably does. It's like us. We can never retire. Uh, And then the last thing is we're only going to die by bad religion. I'm kind of embarrassed of this version. I think I played drums on this version. Andrew played drums on a lot of these, but I played drums on a a bunch for sure. But I played drums on that. And I just play in a way that it sounds... I don't know if you've heard it in a while. I don't remember. I mean, I've heard it. I should have played straighter. I'm playing with like... I'm kind of following the guitar in a way that doesn't make any sense. Mm. But... uh, Anyway, I loved that uh, first uh, Bad Religion record, or at least I, maybe I only know half of it. Maybe I only know, only know side two because I think I just had it on, on tape or something. Anyway, um, maybe that's all there is to say. Good night. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I think that for, for, for fans of Sloan, it's important to understand that we're, I think it, if you want to talk about our musical output, then you kind of have to take that into consideration because obviously people focus a lot on the Beatles sort of aspect of our, certainly our early stuff and even now a lot of major and minor sevenths but I that is also an important thing and it has shown up in, certainly for our first record Sonic Youth was a big deal in My Bloody Valentine Sonic Youth probably more of a big deal in the in this and the hardcore influence in our stage presence because we've always been show people in that we've always been not we don't just stand and look at the floor, mm-hmm. or, and certainly not back then. And that was all because punk was was theater. It was John Light or Johnny Rotten, or it was or it was Henry Rollins or whatever. Like, you know, sweating and jumping on people or whatever it is, and a much more physical than pop music was at the time, which was just play guitar and whatever. And I feel like we tried to bring that energy as much as like say you know a band like Sonic Youth throwing like banging guitars into each other and stuff like. I think that um, that appealed to me, that energy. And and we had that, that scene, if you talk about Chai Pig, for instance, a Canadian punk legend or whatever who just yeah. died recently. Like he had a water gun that he would shoot at the audience and <laughs> yeah. he had like an air, and he'd go over the, the audience that's holding him up on an air bed and stuff. And this is in 1980 something. He was like a kid, basically. Yeah. And this, I was just like, holy shit. Or like even Doughboys with like hair going everywhere and stuff. It was like, this is, these guys are, it, they're putting on a show and they're not and I didn't think it was selling out or anything I thought it was like really really exciting and I didn't really feel that even metal bands that I saw were never exciting really um, but the, the hardcore was exciting and it was something that I could do and um, it's not super easy but I don't know if you felt that way but it was just so accessible in some ways yet at the same time as as rebellious as 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 anything and the weird thing about it too for me is that it was American and I don't really like a lot of American stuff I do like some American stuff mm-hmm. but like I, that age I was always a bit wary I mean I don't know what your kids are like my kids don't like Americans they've never met any <laughs> I won't we don't even say Americans because we just say people from the United States right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean I don't feel that way now but um, and we've met some of these people since and obviously we did these and you were in touch with some people about publishing I assume yep I, I mean, I know to, you talked about I have it. more calls to make, but... So, uh, but it's... I feel like we aren't... We aren't peers, but we're not that far off to know that Keith Morris or or um, Milo, Milo would have would know who we are. I no, mean, we have been around th- for a long time. It's a but. thrill to know that they know who we are. Like, to me, to be on any kind of continuum that includes those guys. And it, it's important to me and maybe to us to, to... Not just to show that this is what we are also into, but to draw attention to these acts that really don't get a lot of attention, even to this day, really. I mean, nobody really talks about Angry Simones. No. But, 
I assume they're on tour. I don't know if they tour or not. But, you know, I I, but I mean... I think they're still doing it. I mean, so. we live in Toronto, so bands do come through, but Halifax was... They wouldn't have. Yeah, no, but the only person I can remember coming through that was weird was DC3, the Des Kadena I remember that. Act. I remember the ads for it. I was out of town. I saw them in Montreal, though. I was was it great? Uh, they were fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think we'll wrap it up here because I really have to pee. I don't know if you can yeah. tell by my body language. And, uh, and you got to get going. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. anyway, uh, maybe uh, see you next time th- on this. Uh, thanks for tuning into this uh, Murder Records podcast. Yep. And uh, I'm Chris and my esteemed colleague, Patrick, and I uh, bid you good day. Bye-bye. That's It's In You, It's In Me, one of the two originals on our new Sloan record called This One's an Original. Now, I hope you enjoyed the uh, deep dive conversation today between Chris and Patrick. And if I might uh, just be able to add my own little sidebar story, I didn't really grow up knowing a lot of uh, hardcore, maybe aside from you know, Husker Du or very, very early replacements. So I didn't hear much of it until I met Chris in about 1987 and I taped um, a couple of records or even taped some tapes off him, I think, of like uh, Rock for Light by Bad Brains or maybe Out of a Step by uh, Minor Threat uh, off of him. But my... um, my first real exposure to hardcore was back in about late 1981, early 1982, um, when the the album Damaged by Black Flag was released. So back then, I was working at a store called Old Dan's Records, and I remember we ordered in about 10 copies of this album, and they were selling uh, really fast, and it was uh, such an unusual record, I never heard of them before. And um, there was a regular customer who I knew, and uh, he really wanted to hear it, but he didn't have a working turntable at home. So he bought it, and he asked me if I could take it home and tape it for him and uh, I was happy to help um, you know so I took it home and and you know the cover is sort of terrifying uh, it's like a guy punching a mirror and is that Rollins is that Rollins punching the mirror anyhow I assumed it was and uh, you know it's so wild sounding but I remember taping it at home and just sweating so much <laughs> hoping that it would be over by the time my mom got home from work uh, so I wouldn't have to explain to her uh, what this record was Anyhow, mission accomplished. My mom uh, made it home late, luckily, and she never had to hear uh, Padded Cell or Life of Pain from uh, from Damaged. Anyhow, I just wanted to add that uh, little story. Again, uh, thanks very much uh, for listening. Hope you enjoyed the conversation between uh, Chris and Patrick. And uh, don't forget to go over to um, sloanmusic.com if you'd like to get one of the remaining copies of the album. This one's an original. Thanks again for listening, and take care. <laughs>